0: If you're looking for an international school that provides quality American education at an affordable price for your child, well, Excel American Academy could be just what you're looking for. This school follows the American curriculum that's aligned with Aero Guidelines and U.S. Common Core Standards. It also has a unique Pioneer Town program, an experiential learning program that gives students hands-on and real-world experience. Excel American Academy is not just for U.S. citizens, it's for everyone. Visit xaa.edu.sg to find out more. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Growing Pains podcast brought to you by Honey Kids Asia. This podcast will delve into the deeper challenges of modern parenting and provide a safe space for parents to unravel and detangle the messy and sometimes scary world of modern parenting. My name is Ange. I'm an Aussie expat who has called Singapore home for the last nine years. I'm a mum to two boys, Xavier, who is 11, and Marcel, who is 9. In this episode of the Growing Pains podcast, we're talking to Steph Dixon, founder of Green is the New Black. We want to learn more about eco-anxiety, what is it all about, how it affects kids, and what can be done to alleviate it. Enjoy. Hello, Steph. It's so lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Um, First up, it would be great if you could just tell us a little about you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's always fun to actually record podcasts in real life now that we can do that again. So it's great to actually be physically here with you. Uh, Yeah, so my name's Steph and uh, I started Green is a New Black uh, in 2015 and I used to work in fashion. I used to run fashion festivals and weeks around Asia and that was my dream job. I always wanted to work in fashion but I started reading articles and I watched a documentary called The True Cost Mm -hmm. and I was completely blindsided because I had no idea that this industry that I would idolized my whole life was actually completely polluting the planet and was very socially corrupt. And I felt completely like the rug had been pulled out from under my feet and I was young, mid 20s, and I basically decided that I couldn't continue working and doing what I was doing because I knew I was part of the problem. Mm -hmm. So I quit my job with no plan started doing events to learn about sustainability because that was my skill set. And that led me to found Green is New Black back in 2015. So we started doing events and we launched the Conscious Festival uh, then. We had about 600 people come our first year, about 40 brands that we found and um, helped to celebrate. And then we grew the festival to be for around 5,000 people in three different cities around the world. So they're in Singapore, Hong Kong and Paris now. Uh, And then we launched a media platform to continue to support people through their journey. So we take complicated issues and break them down into little green steps to further people's sustainability journeys. And that's in a nutshell kind of what we've done. And and of course, this is a very important topic that we're dealing with today. And I've suffered a lot from eco-anxiety over the years. And I'm excited to to deep dive into this.
0: Mm. And for the benefit of our listeners, what is eco-anxiety?
1: I think most people are are familiar with anxiety and they've probably experienced it in some capacities or multiple capacities in their life. When we're looking at eco-anxiety, we're looking at fear of Ecological destruction and of fear of our future as a individual, as humanity, and it can be very overwhelming for a lot of people, and feel very insurmountable because we're so small and the problem is so big, and so a lot of the time this can show up as feeling numb, feeling lost, antisocial, can't focus, not paying attention. Those are some of uh, you know some of the easy signs to spot, but then also there is varying levels of extremities with it as well just like normal anxiety there's a full spectrum so on the softer side people can get kind of frozen they can feel very uh, lost and confused then as it starts to progress people make choices not to have children because of climate change and because of they know what's going on and that's deeply rooted um, or can be deeply rooted in uh, an anxiety response and further you know especially in places around the world that are already suffering from the effects of climate change there are cases of people taking their lives because they just can't fathom, uh, you know, what's going to be happening. So, of course, it can get very dark and it can get very heavy, but it's not always like that. Uh, and so I think when we're looking at it, there there really is this, this vast variety of, of symptoms and people that are suffering in different ways from it. But it really is basically just energy that is connected to fear about the planet and our future.
0: Mm. It has been said that eco-anxiety is not a medical condition or mental
1: illness. What are your thoughts on on this? Yeah, it's really interesting because I think my personal experience with eco-anxiety, and I've been through quite a few different versions of it, it... It is always kind of there at the back of your mind, but it has different intensities at different points in your life. And I think you can work through it. And I think that's maybe why it's not necessarily considered a mental illness um, to that degree yet. However, there are more and more professionals studying it, understanding it, because especially the next generation, they're showing it a lot more than previous generations. Mm -hmm. And so it is getting a lot more airtime and a lot more focus. Um, But I think for me, I mean it's manifested in lots of different ways so in the beginning when I first had this huge epiphany I felt quite paralyzed and really just overwhelmed you know in the beginning about like oh my goodness learning so much it's just like a you know it's a tsunami of information when you finally kind of learn it or you have that awakening moment not everyone has that but that was how it was for me and I've had those awakening moments multiple times over mm-hmm. my journey because you know when we're talking about climate change and sustainability it affects so much of our lives so I've had that side of things and then I tried to go plant-based the first Time I tried to go plant-based. Uh, I remember sitting at brunch crying because I didn't know what to eat. I didn't. I didn't have the knowledge, but I just knew that I didn't want to eat, you know, animal products. And my husband's like, "Just eat. You're starving yourself." And it was just so dramatic because back then, you know, when I was doing that, there really wasn't. Like, I didn't know where to find the information. Mm. It wasn't as discussed and common as, as it is now. And living in Singapore back then, you know, there really wasn't the options there are now. So we went through like that side of things. And then, you know, even last year, I was having crazy nightmares about the end of the world. And, you know, I couldn't sleep in the middle of the night. Uh, it really did affect um, my sleep. And so I was waking up and, and imagining, okay, we're probably going to have to buy land. And then we're going to, you know, real doomsday. Like, we're going to have to buy a house. And maybe we have to build a wall around the house. And be completely self-sustained. So we need like the water tank, and we need like our own farm, and blah 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 blah. Yeah, seriously. And my husband woke (laughs) up, and I'm like, "Babe, like we're gonna have to do all of this stuff." And he's like, "Wow, what has happened? What's been going on?" It's like (laughs) seven in the morning, and so we had to go through that for a little while. Um, And then you know, the kids part was a big, a big part for me as well. And just feeling jaded. But I've always managed to, you know, get myself out of that anxiety hole and find some hope and light along the way. Uh, and I'm sure there's going to be more instances where it hits me in different ways. But yeah, I think you can learn to manage it. And there's certain things that you can do to to get yourself out of it and support yourself and have support system around you as well.
0: Mm. It was interesting when you said that, you know, more and more kids and, and people are becoming aware of this kind of situation that we're in and can't, seem to be able to stop um, in terms of the climate and eco-anxiety and all of this. And it was interesting because when we did a little research before talking to you today, there was a study that said, you know, in England, more than half of children and adolescents uh, psychiatrists are seeing children and young people who are distressed about the climate crisis. I think it was 57%. um, Is this something that, you know, parents should be worried or concerned about? I mean, I know for me, both of my children are very aware of the climate. They have projects at school about it. And they have, you know, very much exhibited some mild concern. I wouldn't say anxiety as yet. But, yeah, should we be worried? Should parents be really watching their children closely in terms of this?
1: Yeah, I think the amazing and, I guess, borderline scary part um, for the children of today is that they have an unprecedented access to information mm. they're on smartphones they're um, you know, on iPads they're on computers probably from a way younger age than we all were and so I think they do have way more access to information and I think we just need to be careful about what kind of information they're getting because it's very easy for a child's mind to be swayed on the doomsday side of things yes. if they've absorbed that level of information and so I think of course it's important for a, a parents to be aware of these issues Issues, to watch out for the signs and I think more importantly, to actually have proactive conversations about it, Mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, proactive or or to prevent almost the eco-anxiety spiral that can happen and just make sure that they know that this is the topic the family can discuss and do that in a more positive way and something that's way more action driven uh, than sort of the doom day and despair. And I think especially kids that are already have a predisposition for anxiety tendencies, definitely need to like really keep a closer eye on that because this is definitely something that would be easy to spiral out on Mm -hmm. with the wrong inputs of information. Uh, And so, of course, it's important that they understand the gravity of the situation, but also that they understand the steps and they have hope with the conversation and there is a positive outcome. And it's not just doom and gloom and negativity because, yeah, that's not helpful for anyone.
0: What can we do? What can be done to alleviate eco-anxiety?
1: Yeah. So I think when you're looking out for it, it typically in the first uh, instance would be sort of like a fight, flight, or um, freeze response. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of trying to understand that. And that's at least from the anxiety aspect, because anxiety is just energy. It just either blocks us, makes us want to run away, or makes us want to like run towards a problem. Mm-hmm. And so understanding where they are in that, and if they're frozen, and they're paralyzed with the fear, then figuring out like a safe way to to communicate with them and and, and you know, get them out of that paralysis and if they're running away from it then helping to address that or if they're running towards it then giving you know the structure and the support so that they can actually take action towards it so I think kids are, are like adults they're like any humans they they want to be heard they want to be understood uh, they want to know that they can be safe that there is a safe conversation space that they are going to be safe in the future uh, and so having conversations about that I think it's important to ask clarifying questions to understand what exactly they understand of the situation, Mm. what are the pieces that are causing them the fear. Uh, And so just, yeah, really getting very, very clear on on exactly where this is stemming from, if they have the capacity to actually identify it really depends on the age, obviously. Uh, But then once you kind of understand that, then you can maybe fill in some of the gaps where necessary without overwhelming them with too much information so it is a fine balance but then moving forward it's important to close it off with a brainstorm about okay what can we as a family do mm-hmm. where do you where should we make changes how can we reduce our footprint and there's lots of amazing ways to do that of course spending time in nature is a beautiful way for them to reconnect to what they're fighting for or what we're, you know, we're making the change for as a family for example um, also doing things like a carbon Footprint tracker, right? As a family, that can be a very interesting exercise because then you can see, okay, so where as a family is our footprint too high? Most of the time, that will probably start to look at things like diet, consumption, Mm -hmm. travel. Travel is
0: a big one. Exactly, like
1: all the big buckets. And then you can start to with your your kids, be like, okay, where should we sacrifice? Or where should we, you know, maybe not sacrifice because that can be a negative thing. So where can we adjust and make changes and, you know, and make it more of a positive experience um, for them to see it that way and actually have solutions? Because at the end of the day, they just want to feel like they're back in control Mm -hmm. and they're not completely you know overwhelmed and out of control so having small action steps having a plan as a family not overwhelming them and making it something that can be fun you know even doing things like beach cleanups or Mm -hmm. something can be actually quite an enjoyable experience and educational so I think there's lots of ways to bring it back to positivity and if you know if they're in a place where they can go on a rally or they can join a protest uh, that might be something if they're at the right age to feel like they're not alone that they're surrounded by other youth who feel the same way that they do and and that normalization of it, I think, can also be very powerful.
0: Mm. I think you're so you're so right. I do think that if we engage with the kids and allow them to see that there are opportunities for them to, to give back or do something, or as you say, join a protest or whatever, it will make them feel, well, certainly for mine too, it makes them feel like, oh, I'm engaged in this. I have some purpose and way to make a positive change myself, which I think it can only do something positive to alleviate that kind of stress or fear or worry that they have. Absolutely. Let's talk about ecological grief. Is this a serious condition that more people should be aware of? It's certainly one that I hadn't heard of before.
1: Mm. So I think Eco anxiety is one thing. It's very much driven by fear. It's driven by this energy that as I said kind of puts you in either a fight flight or freeze mode. Mm-hmm. Whereas ecological grief is really referring to the feeling of sorrow and mourning and at the current and projected future loss of our natural environment and impacts of climate change. So when we're talking about grief, it's it's I actually think it's a deeper and a heavier emotion because it's really Already accepting the loss. And so, with that, like other forms of grief, there is sort of a process that people go through, different stages. And I'm just going to share um, a couple of those now just to explain the difference. Um, So, the first is sort of denial, arguing that it can't be true. It's sort of the rejection of it, like, no, this is not possible. Um, I, I don't accept this as a reality. Then it kind of moves into anger. So, why didn't I or others do more? Or maybe in a kid's perspective, like, why are my parents not doing more? And there's that conversation which has always haunted me, actually. This is one of the reasons I started doing the work I did because when I had my epiphany, I I, I thought, what are my kids going to say? Mm. What are my grandkids going to say? How can I possibly continue knowing everything I know and How not could you doing something about that's it? right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. that was like a big thing for me and I think that is one of the factors that drives me with the work that I do because I don't want to have to face that conversation in the future. So there's the anger and blame side of things. The third thing is sort of bargaining. It's, it's where they start to to look for solutions or hoping to reverse the situation and trying to convince others to take radical action. And I think this is a really interesting part because a few times, especially in the early days of my eco journey, I was very intense, you know, with my friends, with my family, with my husband, and really preachy and trying to get them to take this radical change with me. And they weren't at the same point of the journey. And it's very hard. You know, you really like, it's very, very difficult that the people you love don't understand Mm -hmm. and that they don't see the gravity of the situation. So the bargaining and this um, trying to convince and onboard other people can be a very painful part. And then after that, when, you know, you realize that it's almost defeat right you then get defeated and you go through more of a depression where you realize that this this remedial action isn't working you internalize the fear and you just feel this loss and and yeah as i said defeat for the situation once you kind of move that that through that then this is acceptance of the reality of the loss and looking to make plans for a new way forward based on less or different resources and and that kind of thing so Really, while anxiety, I think, allows more of a spur into action, uh, especially if there's the right support system around it, um, ecological grief is something that is way more about accepting and accepting loss and then finding a path forward. So it's quite a different experience.
0: What do you think the COVID-19 pandemic has taught us
1: about climate change? This is a really difficult question for me because during covid during that period, at the beginning, I thought, oh, my goodness, I wonder if this will be it. I wonder if this is going to be the thing that wakes everyone up around the world and that now we finally move the tipping point and we actually can make more change. And I was kind of sitting almost with, you know, anticipation, watching to see what the global response was going to be and if it was really going to change things. And, of course, a lot of people woke up, you know, the whole... uh, future Friday futures movement by Greta Thunberg that's all been in these last few years so a lot of this stuff has happened and yes a lot of people have woken up at the same time there's been still a lot of inaction and for me the part that w- I felt very defeated and jaded after was realizing everyone just wanted to go back to normal and of course you have to have a certain level of understanding we all went through as a as a society, something very dark and heavy. And people just wanted to have some kind of semblance of normality after that. And so while I have compassion for that, I was also very frustrated. Um, And I was in Glasgow last year um, during the time of COP, which uh, is the country of parties. And it's all the governments around the world come together and they talk. It's a UN um, conference and they, they come and they talk about the state of the world. And of course, climate change is a massive part of this conversation. But, you know, the governments were or watering down their commitments and it, it just left me in a bit of a spiral to be honest and that was the last time I kind of, you know, was in the eco-anxiety sphere or even the eco-grief at this point point. Uh, and so, I, yeah, I, I had to actually take a step back from the sustainability world and climate change conversation for a little while to realign myself and to find uh, a new ground because I got very jaded and I was like, I don't know how to keep going anymore mm-hmm. in this fight. Uh, what part I can play anymore because it, it just felt really overwhelming again and so I took a step back I prioritized joy uh, I found life and laughter again in my life and that was really beautiful I think that's an amazing thing to be able to also bring your uh, to your children again when they've, when they've suffered mm-hmm. um, or when they've gone through something that is is like this um, and then yeah I, I started just realizing and I went to a few different events that I wouldn't normally go to and I kind of put myself into a different uh, community in a way, um, change my algorithms on Instagram and these types of things. And actually found that there's a lot of still incredible humans that are not in the depths of despair that are actually doing a lot of things to help change things. And that f- allowed me to find hope and, and light in the situation again. So yeah, I do feel like, um, It's tough. I I see progress and I also get frustrated with inaction. So,
0: yeah. (laughs) And also, you know, there's a lot of challenging economic downturns and and recessions and issues that are coming up at the moment globally. And whenever these things happen, you know, everyone's immediate thought is how am I going to survive Mm -hmm. in terms of just pay my rent and do those kinds of things. And something like climate change may seem you know, not in my short-term kind of control and worry and I don't have time to put that into what I'm stressing about right now and it's quite, which is why we need to rely on governments and things, right, because that's what they're there for. But it'll be interesting to see. It's quite disheartening, isn't it, because it's,
1: yeah. Absolutely, and and the thing is, I mean... I think you're Australian, right? Yes. yes. And I'm also Australian, even <laughs> yes. though I may not sound it. Uh, but You do
0: sometimes. Steph. Sometimes. I have words. I have words that come <laughs> yes, out where totally. I sound, got
1: my Aussie back. Uh, but you just look at what's been happening in Australia for the last four years to realize that climate change is already here. The East Coast of Australia has been absolutely battered. You know, first we had the most unprecedented bushfires. that killed over a billion animals. Then they had to go through severe drought and heat waves. And then now they've been suffering from the most insane floods. Yes. You know, and... And you just look at that and you go, that's four years. Mm -hmm. That's four years only. And look at where we're at and look at what's happening just to one part of Australia. (laughs) And so I think it's already here. And I completely understand and have compassion for the fact that it is we're going through a difficult time still. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, people just want to survive at the same time there needs to be some kind of integration about this and understanding that the actions that we're taking today will have an effect on the next few decades of our lives. And so while, of course, we're surviving, you need to think about your future survival because it is within your lifetime. And I don't mean to be doom and gloom about it, but as I said, there are positive ways and there's ways to still have joy with these situations, but it is our reality and it can't be ignored. You're
0: listening to the Honey Kids Podcast, Growing Pains. I'm your host, Ange Neo. One of the main purposes of education is to equip our children for the future. And this is something that Excel World Academy strongly believes in. This IB school has everything your child needs to succeed, from a world-class curriculum, highly experienced teachers, to a future-oriented approach to education. All these coupled with a diverse and tight-knit school community equips your child with the skills and exposure essential for the jobs of tomorrow. So check out Excel World Academy, the school of the future at xwa.edu.sg today. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's recent kind of, they had a three-part report that highlighted, you know, rising temperatures, sea levels, affected ocean ecosystems, extreme weather consequences, which obviously as Australians we've seen kind of firsthand that are going to occur in the future, and they're happening right now, as we know. What can we do to slow down, possibly stop the impact? I mean, is it possible?
1: So the first thing to acknowledge is that there is a certain amount of climate change and climate crisis that is locked in already. Yes. And that's... That's literally, literally can't do anything yeah. about it. There, there is going to be disaster and there's going to be things that we're going to face within our lifetime that is going to be very, very difficult, especially for certain areas in the world. So that's the first thing. There's just a level of acceptance that's required. The next thing is that we are all individuals, but as individuals, our actions do matter. And a lot of the time, people think, I'm just one person. What can I really do? But the, the, the point of the matter is all of us together... The collective is what will actually move the change and move the needle. And so even though you only feel like you're one person, you're one of many. And mm-hmm. the many is what's actually going to lead to the change that is required. And so seeing yourself as part of a bigger picture, because at the end of the day, we are spinning on a planet in space. We're basically on a spaceship. <laughs> and even with all the amazing technology and exploration that we've able to do in all the galaxies and further galaxies, they haven't found anywhere that we can live. <laughs> And I know they're trying to do all this Mars exploration, but for us to even try and live there, it's not going to be like what we have here. This is our home and we need to protect that. And so without, yeah, again, don't mean to be negative at all, but just more just like having that deep connection to how incredible our planet is and how this is all of our home. And we need to work together to save it for ourselves because the planet will survive with or without us. It's fine. It, it has gone through so many different iterations and it will survive. It is our survival as humanity that is in question here. So... Boiling that down to what can we actually do about it, I think there are a a few very key, easy things that we can do that as a collective will make a huge shift. That first thing is, of course, diet. I mean, Mm -hmm. animal agriculture is one of the leading causes of Uh, climate change and also biodiversity loss. And biodiversity loss, this is the scary part as well, because if we destroy all of our rainforests and if we pollute all of our oceans, we won't be able to breathe, (laughs) you know, because the oceans and the rainforests are the lungs of our, our planet. And so we need to make sure that we are protecting that as much as possible. And a huge part of that is animal agriculture. So I'm not You know, we don't advocate for everyone to be plant-based, especially not overnight, but you can be flexitarian. You don't need to be eating meat and dairy products every day. You can have less, and if everybody has less, then that's going to help overall. So looking at different decisions for what you choose to put on your plate three or more times a day uh, is very important. The next big one that I think is is very tangible and not that complicated to do is looking at your money. So, what bank are you with? Where do they invest your money? Because when you have your money at a bank, they use it and they use that and they move it around and they invest in different projects and everything or they do loans and you know all all the products that banks have. So, between your banks, your pension fund, or even investments that you're already that you already have, are they Moving, putting that money into green projects that are helping the planet, or are they funding fossil fuels and mm-hmm. and and you know biodiversity destroying industries? It's not. It's, it may sound complicated. It's not. You can ask these questions very easily, or look at their reports, and then either say you don't want your money used for that, and 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 push it into the greener side of projects, or move it to a bank or a pension fund that is more aligned with your values. And if we move the money, this is a huge part of it because then these. Uh, industries will no longer be funded and um, and then we can actually move the money to where it needs to be. So money is a big part. Voting is another big part uh, or even just having dialogue with your local member of parliament or government officials because at the end of the day, they're voted in by the people mm-hmm. and the more people that bring up these topics, they have to put it forward because they are representing their constituency. And so that is another big, very easy thing. Facebook, social media, they're all there. You just message them, email them, kind of harass them a little bit, but in, in, you know, not in an aggressive way. We want to still be positive about this. Um, but I think, yeah, voting and having dialogue with your local members of Parliament and your community is a really important piece as well. And then I think, yeah, as a family, it's cool to do your carbon footprint tracker, figuring out where, as a family, you have a bit too much, um, of too high carbon emissions and reducing that down, I think, is a great way to do it. And of course, all of us, most of us, sorry, would be working. So in your business capacity, what could you do at work? What are they, what's your company doing? Can you help them to do more? Can you volunteer or start a green group? Or if you have the ability, move into a role or move into a company that's actually doing things the right way. Uh, And that I think will be, you know, once you're activated into this, it'll really help you and it will help your kids as well to see that you are part of the solution and you're doing things in a better way. So, those are just a few of the high things that I think have the biggest impact um, that I would share. Mm.
0: I love the tip on moving your money because that's not something that I kind of have thought of as a very practical and easy way for me, you know, because. You obviously wouldn't invest in a company that's, you know, a coal mining company or, but you never think about the fact that, oh, the bank that I'm banking with could be making better choices. And Mm -hmm. should I look into that? That's such a great tip. Um, It's really interesting as parents, you know, we're we're kind of seen as we're trying to be role models for our children and help to shape them. But what's been coming out, particularly around the kind of climate change um, topic, is that kids are really leading the way with their parents. Um, and teaching their parents and quite often, you know, with, through the school projects or whatever else, educating their parents. But, you know, what do you make of this?
1: Yeah, I I love this. I talk about it a lot, actually, because it's one of the main reasons why I see families shifting and and parents or adults in that sense, if we're going to categorize, actually starting to care about these issues because it's Mm -hmm. driven by the children. Uh, And so I think there's a few different ways that people sort of wake up. You can have an awakening like I did uh, and you, you then lead change that way. You can, a lot of people actually come to me or I've had conversations with people who, when they're pregnant or when they have young kids, they actually start realizing the gravity of the situation. And they start thinking about their kids' future more, and that's an activation point. And then later, if not, then it's really the kids, once they're learning at things at school, coming home and being like, uh, mom, I don't want single-use plastic in the house anymore. Do you not know what this is doing to our oceans? Do you not know what this is doing to our rivers? And blah, blah, blah. And then they start being, you know, because kids just, it's very black and white a lot of the time. Yes. And whereas as we get adults, we get a way more gray. And uh, we just, you know, things things shift a lot for us as we grow up. That I think that's a beautiful thing. And, and it is something that a lot of our communities share with us, that actually, you know, they were activated. And the change comes from when their kids come home and say, I don't want this anymore. Yes.
0: Yeah. I told my son Xavier that I was meeting with you and talking to you today, and he said, Well, deforestation is the top of the things that I'm concerned about in terms of climate change. Please let Steph know. So yes. he was, it, it, and it's really wonderful to see, honestly, mm. that they're so concerned. And they're, again, you know, for me, thank goodness for now that they're, that, you know, there isn't an anxiety that I'm concerned about and need to nurture or, um, you know, or intervene, but it's wonderful to see that, as you say, their eyes are open, they're aware of what's going on and and they're still so young, you know, which is great. It's good to see the, you know, the, the future is very much concerned about what's happening, you know, the future of our planet. On the topic of being environmentally friendly and sustainable and how, you know, it's difficult to tackle. And we've talked about some of the things we can do, but what would be your top sustainability tip for a novice, someone who hasn't really had any action to this point or really doesn't know where to start?
1: Yeah. If I was to boil it down to a single thing, I would say find a point that you are passionate about. For me, my entry point was fashion because Mm. that's where I worked and Mm. I loved clothes and I loved expressing myself through clothes. So that was how I went down the rabbit hole. And I made a lot of change in my life first and foremost through that lens. So there, it, it can be, an adventure and it can actually be fun the learning journey and it may of course feel like sometimes you have to give stuff up or have to adjust but it, if you can just reframe your mind as to this is better for you it's better for your family your community for um, the our, our collective home mm. and, and see it as something that's more of that adventure mindset and finding something a point that you're passionate about maybe it's the ocean maybe it's plastic like there are so many different entry points to this conversation or like your son deforestation. Uh, and so once you find a passion point, then just start exploring that. There are so many meetups, so many groups, so many education points, and you can find the right community that can help you through your learning that that works well for you. Uh, and I think just start, yeah, start where you get kind of excited to make a difference. A mm. bit more specific for where we are right
0: now. So how can families in Singapore live more consciously? Well, I
1: think it, it's... Every place is different. So I think you need to understand a little bit about uh, what is possible where you are. And I think somewhere like Singapore, you know, our trash system and recycling is a bit of a mess. Uh, And so this can be difficult, but it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. So there is still recycling systems I think educating yourself and your community or whoever you share the blue bins with a little bit like on what should and shouldn't really be going in there Mm -hmm. um, is a small thing that you can do and just understanding that because at the end of the day the more that we use the bins properly the more that those systems will be better and you know it just it's kind of a knock on effect Uh, but I think in Singapore there's a lot of incredible communities here that most people don't even probably think about and so I think you can go on nature hikes where you can literally go and discover all of the incredible birds and animals that are native to Singapore. You can go and understand more about what we actually have in our backyard here. You can go on beach cleanups a lot of the time as well uh, and join different events and communities here. And then I think also when you travel, that's another beautiful experience and opportunity to learn more about local communities and different places, to use trains and public transport and try to reduce your footprint as much as you can when you are going to different places and eating locally and supporting local and those types of things. Like there's always these opportunities to engage in a different way. Uh, And I think, of course, you know, in Singapore, everyone has their local constituencies that they're part of their communities, which have their member of parliament and so have conversations with them. You know, it's so easy to get access actually here. They they do community events all the time. So just go and speak to them be like, so what is your policies on climate change? Or what are we doing in our community for recycling? And just ask the questions, have the dialogue and say that this is something that's important to you and you want to understand what they're doing. And I think that really helps to, yeah, to start to anchor that conversation further and and, and, you know, create that knowledge and I think that's also a nice opportunity to take your kids to, you know, to have that dialogue and to see that you're taking these actions and that you're trying to be proactive about the conversation. And the final thing that I think is is really important is, yes, uh, there's recycling, but that's actually one of the last things we should do. More importantly, we need to be reducing, we need to be repurposing, we need to look at how we can borrow more, buy less, really reduce our consumption, because we do definitely overconsume as a, as a nation. And I think figuring out how you can have less and there are some amazing places like you can get so much stuff secondhand on marketplaces here yes. and Carousel. It's actually amazing. Or you can literally borrow stuff from your community and your neighbor. You don't have to buy all the time. So I think getting a little bit more creative about how we're consuming is a very big part uh, that would massively reduce the impact of Singapore as a nation.
0: I'd like to ask a personal question just to finish off our chat today. Um, thinking about having kids, you know, what's your kind of perspective on, on that, which I know is a very personal question, but just given, you know, everything we've talked about today and your own kind of fears around climate change and what that means for the future of, you know, the human race, I suppose, has that swayed or, or made any changes to the decision you've, you will make or have made to have kids?
1: This is a very big topic for my husband and I and it's something that we've battled through the last couple of years because I really didn't know if I wanted to have kids mm. and uh, I, yeah, for exactly the reasons of what kind of world are they going to be brought into, I know too much yes, and so especially when I, you know, was in the eco-anxiety phases it's very difficult for me at the time to fathom bringing a child into this world However, when before we got married, uh, I said, I kind of started voicing some of this to my husband. And he said, look, I love you. But if you don't want to have kids, then we have to talk about the marriage. So that was like very difficult um, for us to go through. And of course, I love him and I want to be with him. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, I made peace with it um, because I know I'm going to have little green warriors anyway. And at the end of the day, it is, you know, there's just a part of you that clicks in it. Not everyone, of course, I'm not assuming at all, but for me, eventually clicked in that, okay, I I want to, you know, do what my body is designed for if it can. (laughs) You know, you get this kind of motherly instinct that comes in in a way. And so, yeah, we did eventually come to the conclusion that we will have uh, try to have children. And if we can't do it naturally, then I think personally, we we would look at other options like adopting and those kind of things um, if we still want to have a family. But, you know, I completely respect everyone's decisions um, in these instances. It's, it's really a very personal thing. But yeah, I really had to work through it and, and learn to accept that at the end of the day, there's always joy. No matter how dire situations get, there is joy. And I've loved having siblings and being part of a family and I would you know it's important to for me to experience that on my own as well with my husband and I think that's just a beautiful part of life and so no matter how hard things get in the future and how difficult they are you know obviously we're not gonna have like four children but uh, (laughs) I think I think there's always joy to be found and I think that's the conclusion I landed on in the end that we will make it amazing and magical no matter what happens because that's a choice that we can do you know, hardship helps us grow but we can still choose how we show up and that of course takes a lot of personal development work and acceptance but I think there's ways to do that and that's a new challenge for me because – I don't know if it's been obvious or not, but I have suffered a lot with the darkness in my life, with depression and anxiety. So once I got over the whole eco-anxiety element, I had to get over the fact that, okay, well, what if our kids actually end up with the DNA um, that I, and, you know, the that, the darkness basically. And so now I'm doing a lot of personal development work uh, to get to a point where I know how to handle things in a way healthier way. And my attention doesn't completely get absorbed by my thoughts and emotions, but I'm able to step back and be in the seat of the witness and the observer so that I can witness it and experience it as a human experience without being completely absorbed by it. And this is also linked to the eco-anxiety element. And so Mm -hmm. if I can really master that, then I can help my kids with whatever they're going to end up having in the future. Steph, thanks so much for talking to us today. It's been wonderful. Thank you for having me. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Steph, for our chat today. I am now joined by our podcast producer, Suf, to chat a little about today's episode. Hey, Suf. Hi. So what have you learned from today's episode?
1: Hmm, um, we talked about a lot of things, but I think there's just so many to discuss. The repercussions of climate change are huge. I mean, if you had tried to talk about eco-anxiety years ago, no one would have paid attention. But now... It's another thing that parents should make space in conversations as they raise kids today.
0: Do you think conscious living is possible in Singapore?
1: Mm, Absolutely. And uh, the answer is not limited to Singapore, Ange. I think uh, conscious living is possible anywhere in the world. It's just a matter of changing one's mindset and habits. Mm. So Ange, uh, since we're talking about conscious living, what sustainable habits you picked up in Singapore that you'll continue to implement?
0: It's really interesting. I had Xavier's birthday party last week. Mm. And I said, what balloons would you like me to to get for you you?" and decorations? And he said, mum, it's really bad for the environment. I don't want any decorations. Wow. So uh, I I actually think there's so many things that I myself have picked up. Like we made sure to recycle and, you know, wherever possible, not buying drinks in cans or bottles and bringing them out with us. Mm But the main thing is that the, the boys are the ones that are challenging me, right? And yeah. continuing to remind me of the things that I don't even think about, like a balloon on his birthday. No, mum, that's a waste. Like, it's not good for the environment. So it was kind of a proud mum moment, I would say.
1: Kind of what <laughs> uh, like Steph talked about, that kids are not leading the charge instead that's of parents. That's exactly
0: right. And I'm learning so much from them. And it's wonderful to see that they're going to continue to challenge us. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, well... That's it for this episode of Growing Pains. Thanks, Suf. Thank you. Thank you for listening and we will see you next time.